0: All those who are holding tickets outside, are getting as fast as they can. I'm speaking out to you, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm speaking to the crowd on the outside who seem to be standing rather reluctant to come in, and we're going to start this very soon.
1: Welcome back to Worthy. I'm Ben. And I'm John. And on this episode, we are talking about the 1963 Best Picture winner, Tom Jones. Not the Las Vegas stage act, but the comedy from 1963 starring albert finney directed by tony richardson so because it is a comedy and we really haven't talked comedy on the podcast we're going to open up the floor comedy so they really this feels like tom joe's is like the only true comedy to win best picture and the other one that i think could be considered and sort of fits in the same vein of that genre is it happened one night Schindler's List I thought could also be a comedy but I was like nah that's not really too much more of a drama. Yeah it might be pushing it <laughs> yeah, it might be might a be, little too far a little too far <laughs> but yeah so this movie Tom Jones. I can't make that joke only you can make that joke <laughs> I mean it, we're, we're trying our, our, our comedy chops here John I feel like we're trying that every week though when We, or every episode you know as we're doing it so anyways before we get
2: way off track a minute into this, into this i episode. think you could argue you can't take it with you as well could be a comedy or a screwball comedy yeah okay it, but- it gets kind of messy with the romance thrown in and and it's uh, it's definitely a tricky topic
1: well there's definitely romance in tom jones but maybe let's let's talk about comedy just what like is there a certain like things that do have to be in comedy like romance like, i feel like romance does feel like a a very like beat to hit in comedies, but are there like other aspects of comedy that besides just the joke
2: telling that like feel essential to it when making a movie? Well, I mean, definitely romance. You mentioned that right off the top. And I feel like that's a really relatable experience, dating, meeting people, sex. They're all things that we do as humans. And it's a lot of humor can be drawn out of those situations. Cause I think there's a lot of like awkwardness in those situations. And I this there's so many there's such a spectrum of comedy and this was a film that was so beyond just a screwball comedy or a rom-com like it happened one night and it went so far into goofy and almost Monty Python in a way and I'm not just saying that because it's British but there's many moments in this film that are so outlandish and goofy. And I know I, I, there's such a spectrum of comedy, so it's hard to just define what is a comedy. Usually my favorite comedies are like a, a spectrum of just the, not only is a it comedic, it's usually a dramedy. It's a mixture of having some drama in it to kind of like have a heart and a, and a deeper kind of thump when it comes to the storytelling. Because I think what happens with the comedy is that the stakes can be so low. And I think that's the negative a lot of the times with comedies, but... You know, I don't think people are always trying to watch a movie that has some sort of very dramatic twist and turn to it. And I think that's what comedies have been used for for the longest time is to kind of make you not think about your life, to kind of take you outside of it. Maybe you can relate to some of the jokes and the humor, but it really is there to make you forget and to make you just laugh. Uh, But you tell me, Ben, what do you think about comedy and what, what do you define as a comedy?
1: yeah i think it has to be something that feels loose and that and you know you know when i say like it doesn't take itself too seriously you know it's not it goes beyond just like the jokes it's also the way the film is crafted the way everything looks the way the actors present themselves and i think this movie tom jones goes the extra mile in and exceeding like all those things it's very loose it really goes far with different styles techniques how the actors perform and I mean that may not be like the highest of praises I can that it deserves because it also feels very like slapstick put together. And one I was actually reading like different reviews of this movie and I went to letterbox and, and I saw some people's reviews. Someone wrote essentially that this feels this movie feels like somebody woke up from an acid trip and then decided <laughs> to make a movie. And I feel like for a movie that came out in the '60s, the early '60s, this time in the world where people were becoming more free-flowing and more accepting, and and trying to really push some boundaries because society was so you know closed off of itself. But now we're trying to be, you know, freedom, peace, and love. Everyone's getting stoned. Everyone's tripping on acid. And you get a movie like this, which I think is like almost like a rebellion to comedy, to proper English way of life. And I'll commend it for that. But at its core though, the the comedy feels also lost within an era. It's a style that and I think comedy does that. It comes in waves where different jokes are, you know, become popular throughout like a decade, maybe, maybe 15 years, maybe 20 years, different, you know, styles and approaches. Like I feel like the Judd Apatow type of movies were like huge when we were growing up, but I don't know if like that type of movie would be as successful as today in terms of a comedy. Now I feel like today's comedies have to be like flashy and like really like, like, like all the jokes have to be so like outrageous in today's world, which I guess is similar to what Tom Jones is in that type of comedy. This far out wacky zany type of comedy style, which I, you know i can give it its due and its credit for but yeah in terms of comedy it's a great genre it's a fun genre it's a genre that the oscars don't really give too much love and attention to like i don't remember the last time like a comedy i guess bridesmaids is bridesmaids the last one that got like like so much oscar love and attention you know that's that's just off the top of my head but yeah so comedy it's a fun genre is there any like comedy movies before we finish this john like that you love in particular that you stick like, your go-to this is like the funniest movie or this is a movie i just love watching and showing people when it comes to comedy
2: yeah absolutely i mean you you bringing up the different genres and how comedy has changed made me think a little bit more about how comedy has changed and i feel like it it happened in the 90s where A lot of our action became comedy in a way where it combined both this really heightened sense of action and maybe exaggerated action with like Schwarzenegger and Stallone films. But then having one liners and comedic moments to kind of take us into the next scene or or kind of end a moment like a nice tag on a scene. And I feel like that's kind of what happened with comedy when we don't really see much of Judd Apatow anymore, but it's usually split between an action film that's comedic or it's a romantic film that is comedic where we have rom-coms and these action films like deadpool or or john wick i it's more of a drama for sure but there's a lot of humor and i think you could credit that to the marvel cinematic universe which is also very much a lot of the times they're comedy films depending on which films inside of the mcu but yeah you know it it really depends in in terms of like splitting it between those two categories when Harry Met Sally is a huge one for me it's like the fall time right now so that's such a great romantic comedy that I think holds up and that's the hard thing about comedies and I'm glad you brought it up with Tom Jones is that it's it is of times and and we have humor that kind of fades and sometimes there's humor that just is is evergreen right and it just lasts forever and I think It Happened One Night in terms of Best Picture Winners is the perfect example of that. It's using like tropes on relationships and it helped create the foundation of rom-coms. And I think Tom Jones, before we get into our full in-depth conversation, I would say it's the opposite. Like you're exactly right. It's a kind of dated form of comedy. It's like this weird moment in time when you watch this movie, even though it's a period piece, you like feel that sensibilities that that free love sensibilities that you were kind of mentioning and the rebellious nature of the 60s. But it's also just kind of smushed into this political sex film, basically, right? So, yeah, it's such an interesting, like, genre because we don't see it ever in movie theaters. And I just thought of this as well. Like, this is a perfect time to bring up um, a recent release, I think last week or the week, weekend before was bros which people are keep touting as like a big studio gay comedy film but with two men as the leads and it bombed like no one went to go see it and made no money whether that's about the actual subject matter and 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 that's the reasoning why we don't need to go into but I, I find it interesting because there really aren't that many comedies at all in theaters and and what happened is that theaters just know they can't make the money they go to streaming services like Peacock or Netflix. And a lot of these comedies have just been relegated to like a certain theme or a certain kind of genre within the comedy genre, like romances. Like we see so many rom-coms on Netflix just to kind of like pass the time, basically. They're like really easy, cheap to make and dump them out. So it is an interesting genre because it does change so much. And it's not like a a science fiction or a fantasy genre where – it's dependent on the technology. Like comedy usually is completely removed from the technology aspect. So yeah, there's so much to talk about when it comes to comedy and you're exactly right. I think to end the conversation, it's such a neglected aspect of not only film these days, but also the Academy has kind of overlooked some really, really great comedies over the years. I think you're exactly right with that point. John, let me ask you that question.
1: Is Tom Jones worthy of the Best Picture Award of 1963?
2: Tom Jones, The Romantic and Chivalrous Adventures of the Adopted Bastard Tom Jones in the 18th Century England. The film begins with a silent film sequence
1: with intertitles during which Squire Allworthy returns to his estate after a lengthy stay in London and discovers a baby in his bed. Thinking that one of his maids, Jenny Jones, and his barber, Mr. Partridge, conceived the illegitimate baby out of lust, the Squire banishes them. He names the infant Tom Jones and chooses to raise him as if he were his own son. Tom grows up loving him like a father.
2: Tom becomes a lively young man whose good looks and kind heart make him very popular with girls and women. He loves only the gentle Sophie Western, the daughter of a neighbor who returns his love. Tom is stigmatized as a bastard and cannot wed a young lady of her class. Sophie, too, must hide her feelings while her aunt and her father, Squire Western, try to coerce her to marry someone they think might be more suitable the nephew of squire allworthy this young man is mr bliffle the son of squire allworthy's
1: widowed sister bridget although of legitimate birth and appropriate class he is an ill-natured prig with plenty of hypocritical virtue when bridget dies unexpectedly bliffle intercepts a letter which his mother only intended for his uncle's eyes the letter's contents are not revealed until late in the film But after his mother's funeral, Bliffle and his two tutors, Mr. Thwackum and Mr. Square, who also tutor Tom, join forces to convince the squire that Tom is a villain. Allworthy gives Tom a substantial cash legacy, 500 pounds,
2: and sorrowfully sends him out into the world to seek his fortune. In his Odyssey on the Roads, Tom is knocked unconscious while defending the good name of his beloved Sophie and robbed of his legacy. He also flees from a jealous Irishman who falsely accuses him of having an affair with his wife, Sophie's cousin. He then engages in a deadly sword fight and rescues Mrs. Waters from, the, from a British Army officer and later beds her. Before that occurs, Tom and Mrs. Waters wordlessly consume a hearty meal while gazing lustfully at each other. Later, Tom meets Partridge, his alleged biological father, and engages him as a servant. Meanwhile, Sophie runs away
1: from home. Soon after, Tom is banished, in order to escape the attentions of Loath Bliffle. After narrowly missing each other at the Upton Inn, Tom and Sophie arrive separately in London. There, Tom attracts the attention of Lady Bellaston, a noble woman over 40 years of age who was attracted to the pretty boy. She is rich, beautiful, and completely immoral. She invites Tom to a mass ball and seduces him. Tom goes to her bed willingly and is generously rewarded for her
2: services, with a suit of fine clothes. Lady Belliston tries to force Sophie into a marriage to a lord by having her raped by him so that she can have Jones all to herself. Sophia is saved when her father bursts in. Hoping to disentangle himself from the affair with Lady Bellaston. Tom writes to her proposing marriage, knowing she will reject the proposal and him. She does, but she also shows the proposal letter to Sophie, who writes to Tom, breaking off all contact with him. Tom visits Sophie's cousin, Mrs. Fitzpatrick, to ask her to speak on his
1: behalf to Sophie. Mr. Fitzpatrick sees him leaving and, assuming his earlier suspicion of an affair between Tom and Mrs. Fitzpatrick were correct, engages Tom in a duel. The sword fight ends in the wounding of Mr. Fitzpatrick and the crowd thinks Tom was robbing
2: him. Tom ends up at Tyburn Gal, sentenced to hang for robbery and murder. Partridge runs into Mrs. Waters and recognizes her as a former Jenny Jones, Tom's alleged mother. He tells her that the man she met is her alleged son and that he is awaiting execution. Squire Allworthy is troubled to hear that Tom has apparently been involved in incest. However, Mrs. Water visits Mr. Allworthy and tells him the truth. Tom is not Jenny Jones' child, but his sister Bridget's illegitimate son and thus Allworthy's nephew. Allworthy also learns of the mysterious letter that was supposed to reveal this. Since Bliffle knew of the letter, concealed it, and tried to destroy his half-brother, Allworthy disinherits him. Allworthy also learns that Mr. Fitzpatrick has recovered and withdrawn
1: the charge against Tom. Allworthy uses his knowledge to get Tom a pardon, but it arrives too late. Tom has been conveyed to the gallows, the nooses around his neck. Squire Weston... Who has been apprised of Tom's new status as Allworthy's
2: only heir cuts him down as he begins to hang and takes him to Sophie. Tom has permission to court Sophie, and all ends well with Tom embracing Sophie with both Squire Western's and his uncle's blessings. Squire Western predicts a child will be born tomorrow in nine months. Tom lives to love another day. Tom Jones was directed by Tony Richardson. Written by John Osborne, based on the novel by Henry Fielding. Produced by Tony Richardson and executive
1: producers Michael Balkin, Michael Holden, and Oscar Lewinstein.
2: Music by John Addison. Cinematography by Walter Lassely. Film editing by Anthony Gibbs. Art direction by
1: Edward Marshall. Tom Jones starred Albert Finney as Tom Jones.
2: Rachel Kempson as Bridget Allworthy. George Devine as Squire Allworthy. Angela Badley as Mrs. Wilkins. Joyce Redman as Jenny Jones slash Mrs. Waters. Jack McGowran as Partridge. Diane Salento as Molly Seagram. Peter Boll as Thwackum, David Warner as Bliffle. Hugh Griffith as Squire Western.
1: Susanna York as Sophie Western.
2: And Michelle MacLiamore as the narrator.
1: So Tom Jones, John, very different than our previous film,
2: Lawrence of Arabia. (laughs) Yeah, I think we should start there. We We should should start there (laughs) because we go from a four hour movie that is shot in such hazardous conditions. That's this deep character drama. That's some of the best cinematography I think we've seen yet out of any best picture winner. And then we go to Tom Jones, which is a straight, straight comedy filled with sex so much sex, so much so much goofy jokes, crazy transitions. It's only 2 hours long and it's just balls to the walls when it comes to experimental filmmaking for the time, right? But yeah. what I found so interesting is that there is like no depth into any of the characters in this film, which is the entire film of Lawrence of Arabia is trying to like pick apart characters minds right and like analyze who they are and how they like oppose and how those opposing viewpoints can maybe work together while this film like oh it takes out any sort of characterization and it's like this is about a goofy story and about this guy having sex with so many women until he can find out who he's related to and that is the plot of this film yeah would you
1: agree yeah and it doesn't even like get into that mystery of like who he's related to because they don't really care like there's so much of this plot where it's like, "Okay, well, I would like to know more, oh, you're not gonna do that, okay, you're gonna have a whole hunting scene, which is nicely made, and then we're gonna have this like five minute scene where they're not saying anything but eating a bunch of food, and it's kind of disturbing, but <laughs> okay, and it's just like ch- chasing each other, these like random sword fights, just like Hugh Griffith just drunk everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, throwing food at so dogs, apparently collapsing drunk. on his horse, like, really drunk.
2: <laughs> I knew he was drunk before we went to the IMDb trivia. I knew for a fact oh, that so this drunk. man was definitely inebriated while filming. It was very apparent. He was on another level in every scene that he was in.
1: Yeah, this, man, this movie, I said it to you, and this is, like, kind of my whole summation of it. It's just, like, this feels like a happy accident. Like, it just feels like that all, these people made this movie that were just, like, alright well we have the rights to this book you know From the book was came from the 1799 which was also popular at the time it like had all these like social issues and, and it was really raunchy for its time which fits into the vein of the film itself and that's fine but it's like okay we have this movie and we're just gonna have this person do it and we're just gonna try and do this with the cinematography oh let's have fun with the editing let's break the fourth wall constantly and we get this movie that's just like oh you're fun this is definitely like like i definitely <laughs> laughed at the movie but then i'm like well why why did why is this a best picture winner like what like what, well, like why is this movie stand out so we have this movie that is kind of like what like why is it a best picture winner and then researching it and i love the research that we do for this we make a whole outline and you know there's like these same websites that we use to find information and there was nothing about this movie. There's like <laughs> very little besides that. Oh yeah. He, Hugh Griffith was a drunk. Albert Finney did not really enjoy making this movie. And the director felt kind of ashamed that he even made the movie. And so it's like for a movie that won best picture, it has, there's just no like history to like the production of it, which is so bizarre, you know? So I, I just had like struggle just trying to like figure out like why this movie held such significance besides that, People in 1963
2: thought this was the funniest thing they've ever seen. I think people really thought it was funny. And I think it was something so new and fresh that it just stayed in people's minds. I think there's a lot of moments in this film where I was like kind of taken aback by either some of the swiping transitions, the the swirling circle closing transitions, transitions that I didn't think really happened until the 70s, really, in terms of. The films that i've seen that the some of the older you know 60s and 50s films that we've seen so far on this journey like we haven't seen anything like that when it comes to like the transitioning some of the cinematography like so much helicopter cinematography what i think of a lot of too 70s really crazy 70s filmography especially the filmography that like tarantino loves like the exploitation cinema and the the crazy whip pans and the the zooms like there's like zooms like a scene will start and the camera will just be like zooming out of a character's face and there's like no really rhyme or reasoning to why that's happening it just is and I think the best way to like summarize what this film is like for me is it's kind of like a paint palette if if you ever like had a, a bunch of colors that you're trying to paint and you have them all laid out on your palette And you're maybe trying to like mix some colors together to make some different colors. But then what ends up happening after painting for an hour or two hours is that all your colors will eventually just get mixed and your colors will become a brown blotchy mess. And by the end of it, you're like, what? I I can't use this color. Like the final product of this is such a misshapen mess that I don't even know really how to properly look at it as a whole because of the elements that they build this movie together with the cinematography the music the editing the different acting styles and choices is so all over the place and it changes so constantly that it's really hard to like pinpoint what this movie really is and i think it was hard to kind of narrow down our opening topic Like we wanted to specifically talk about, you know, British new wave cinema, but then, you know, we want to be able to have a a good conversation and kind of talk about something. And if we haven't seen any other film in the British new wave, what are we really going to talk about? I mean, we can talk about the the actual stylistic elements that are probably brought into this. and, And that seemed to be a huge thing at the time is that we're making a period piece. But Tony Richardson, who's a part of the British new wave of cinema, and that's kind of very similar to french new wave cinema where we're using a lot of handheld cameras we're experimenting maybe we're seeing jump cuts different editing styles and and really making something feel new and making film feel alive again by breaking film filmic rules that we've kind of established at this point so by then bringing that into a period piece it's it definitely does feel fresh it definitely does feel new But by the end of it, do I really enjoy it? No, because I just don't care about any of the characters is really what it comes down to.
1: Okay, so it's character-based for you. And I agree, like, the characters aren't explored enough. But for me, at the same time, like, the technical elements and you touched upon it are so wacky and so bizarre. (laughs) And it really just feels like that, like, Tony Richardson was just trying to do something more. And we, you know, when we were talking about, like, potentially talking about the British New Wave, and I was like, all right, let me try and, like, do some research and, and learn about it. And as I'm learning about it, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm really interested. And I'm like, but this has nothing to do with Tom Jones. And, like, Tom Jones, <laughs> it just feels
2: like... The, Not really mentioned, really.
1: No, it's, like, it's bizarre. And, and that's where it's, like, it's, like, why does this stick out? Like, like really, what was in... I try to think of, like, I always go to, like, Mad Men and, at this point of time is like trying to imagine like someone like don draper just like going to the movies and knowing that tom jones was like the best picture of the year it's so (laughs) it's just so weird and when and again when it's compared to like lawrence of arabia from the year before it's so different it it just so it's mind-boggling but the movie does have it has like it's fun and funny moments and i i'll give it that credit i think like the first like 40 minutes of the movie is really fun I love the hunting scene I like how wacky it is I like you know Hugh Griffith just like being I think it's funny how drunk he is but the rest of the acting is like bad <laughs> from him Albert, Albert Finney is like pretty steady but there's not enough of Tom Jones to make you believe that the character is fully developed and it seems like in the book that there's so much more depth to his character that in this movie it just barely touched it's just like yeah Tom's a good looking guy and women just like fawn over him and that's it and that's kind of like the swinging (laughs) 60s free flowing way of thinking which is like free love every you know how sex becomes like a bigger thing in society it becomes more talked about there there's all these like external factors which i think are like relevant to its time but then to put into this movie is just like trying to jam a square peg into a round hole so it's it definitely feels like that yeah Yeah. it's just like I, the movie it's just so like i remember when i watched it for the first time i was like this feels like kind of like a genius type of like movie like, i can kind of see why people might be into it and then going back and seeing the totality of best picture and then rewatching it this time around i was like what was i thinking like why would i like what was <laughs> well, it just because i was like well this is like different and now i'm just like this is fine but to like think of it as like this is a movie that won best picture is just like what like why was everybody just high that year was there something in the water that everybody was just like
2: (laughs) tripping balls and they thought tom jones was like the next great thing i think people were very horny that's definitely and i'm that's one it's partially a joke but it's also not i think when you look at some of the other films in the best picture category and we'll discuss more of them in detail when we get to the oscars but it they're they're very straightforward they're either very americana or they're a classic you know big grand production with huge massive sets and thousands of extras like cleopatra or all these big stars that you see all the time like how the west was won and you look at those and they're straightforward we kind of know what we expect there's really not much like crassness there's no sexuality and i think we're just kind of embracing that at this point in in 1963 and we want to explore it even further and I think by making this the film to choose it's kind of pushing that forward and in the color palette as well reminds me of very 60s it's like the British kind of like muddy washed out browns and oranges and yellows like kind of like an autumn but I think you're exactly right where the film doesn't feel that cohesive it feels like every day on production that they were making this film they were just and this kind of checks from what I was doing in terms of research for Tony Richardson and for the British New Wave is that every day was like an experiment, like what's make the scene and not like think about the previous scene and how like stylistically they may align. Let's just like try something new. Like this is a cool ang- angle like, oh, what if we got the dogs running? directly into the camera or jumping over the camera like it was just throwing a bunch of ideas out consistently every day and just not really thinking about the overall film that you are making and the overall story so it just feels so jumbled and messy and you also brought up how you know, the technical elements are a mess and I completely agree with you like I don't think we've seen this it may be some of the worst cinematography we've seen yet which is hard to say because there's like some really beautiful shots and moments in this film when it comes to the cinematography. But then we get to moments where it's pitch black and you can almost barely see what you're even looking at. I don't know if you had that same problem. There are certain moments, I think it's earlier on in the film, that are so dark it's hard to even see. And there's tons of moments like that and I think the hunting scene is a good good opportunity to talk about that is that it uses a lot of helicopter shots a lot of like either on horseback or on cars driving through hilly mountains and we just don't have the technology yet to make that look as good as it should be right it is so bumpy and shaky and messy but what did you think about some of the cinematography and and the hunting scene in particular yeah
1: I actually really like the hunting scene and I don't think I feel like as down the cinematography as you because I feel like that because it's trying to do more I'm not saying this is like the best cinematography but I I do commend it for what it's trying to do and I I think it does do some stuff successfully I don't like the lighting design at points you're right it feels very muddy it feels like they're trying to go for like this naturalistic kind of look but they really can't pull that off and Mm -hmm. I like so I like the hunting scene I like how it does all a bunch of tracking there's some really cool shots of when they're they go to each person like on horseback it's kind of like they set up like a rig where they're like riding like a fake horse probably and it's on like some kind of picture car with other people around them riding on the horses so I kind of appreciate it for that I hate the lighting of it I hate how muddy it looks it I, I have the movie playing in front of me right now and it, it's just like these wacky angles that like are handheld and while that's all fun and good it just doesn't Line up and and i guess like tony richardson it feels like this is like a movie that like if nowadays would be like some indie movie came out and the studios threw a bunch of money at them they're like okay we have all these tools to like do stuff but this is actually helping the narrative this is actually helping the story and i just don't think it does and when you think about like them trying to go for different looks and feels and the influence they have on it it ends up influencing probably the unlikeliest person that you can think of but it influences stanley kubrick and the movie barry linden and also kubrick just like the british new wave style this they call it kitchen, kitchen sink realism angry young men and so you see like barry linden and you're like wow this looks like tom jones this is like a successful kind of like riff off of it and like that's fun and that's cool to see that happen in film and it definitely seems like the british new wave is something that sparked people's ideas and imaginations and while that's all fun and good, this movie still doesn't fit that. So you have a guy like Tony Richardson, who's part of that new wave get, I, you know, this movie was made through his film company, but I guess they also had some support and it just feels like, Oh yeah, you're going to be able to use a helicopter shot. Yeah. You can use all these different cameras and lenses and and different angles and approaches. And it just feels like that. He had too many tools at his disposal and he had no idea what to really do with it. And that's why you lose characters, why you lose different technical stuff that make
2: films succeed like they should yeah kitchen sink i think is a perfect example of this and the look is definitely naturalistic and that isn't really a problem most of the time i think there's some really cool shots and really when i say that it's some of the worst cinematography i just think it's messy in terms of being consistent you know something will be very over or underexposed it's very dark you're not seeing a lot you know, we're, we're having a lot of, like, camera shake. Like, at one point, characters are bumping into the camera. Like, there's a lot of mistakes and technical errors that are in this film that we've really seen. And, and it just, I think, it coming directly off of Lawrence of Arabia, too, I can't really express that enough. That film is so perfect and like masterful and the way it's executed and the way its story is and every single shot is calculated and when it should end when it should like you know begin so it's just even more jarring coming from that and then going into chom chom jones and i just have to think that's why people liked it it's it's new it's fresh Lawrence of Arabia Lawrence of Arabia feels like an older film it feels like grander and larger much like say Cleopatra which also came out in 1963 this year and became one of the most expensive movies of all time if not the most expensive movie of all time so and mentioning with that messiness comes some beautiful moments. I think there's some really cool cinematography and handheld moments that just like randomly appear in this film. You know, like and especially in the hunting scene, because there's so many shots and there's a lot of time taken in that scene. It feels like most of the amount of effort was made in that scene because of how many different angles and shots and. What is it really adding up to in terms of just showing us this world and this life really mainly does that. And it kind of takes Tom to introduce to Sophie and and it kind of builds their relationship up more. And I think that's a really good moment to kind of show how goofy the humor is. If you haven't seen this film, you know, they're on a hunt. Tom Jones gets into saving Sophie because she's kind of being run off with her horse it's really ridiculous and he saves her but he goes flying and breaks his own arm and the way the scene ends is that he literally just like so exaggerated faints, completely falling backwards much like a looney tune cartoon at this point it definitely has a lot of like cartoon expressions in it and Albert Finney as Tom Jones is very expressive. And I think that's where he shines as this character is that he's super expressive. He's very wide eyes and a big jowl mouth. And he looks like the Cheshire cat sometimes when he smiles. And I think that's what kind of carries the characterization, the little that there is, is from Albert Finney. And I don't think it's a bad performance. It's just that he's such a goofball character and it feels like he's being directed to be as, heightened to 11 as much as possible and that definitely doesn't work all the time there's very goofy moments like with him and Molly who's basically like a prostitute around town and how she's yelling at Tom because he slept with her and then is like not treating her with respect even though she's sleeping with someone else and he's behind a bed curtain and it's it's just so there's so many goofy moments and I wanted to stop a moment and just talk about how sexual this movie is not only are there so many moments of the characters having sex there's moments of even fourth wall breaking where the narrator is saying this is where the scene needs to end because you know tom jones is (laughs) is about to go have sex so there's just so many like moments where they're talking about sex acknowledging sex like what what is it does it work for you is it way too much for you what what do you think about that
1: i'm fine with the sexual aspects and like i think that going back to our opening discussion about comedy I feel like that's a thing that is part of it like think about it happened one night that's all that movie is about is about sex and it's about you know the walls of Jericho and and talking about what a you know man undressing and and all that stuff it has to do so much with sex so this kind of makes sense that this movie as well would feature that but what this movie does with sex is kind of like kinky kind of things definitely you know Like, the the other guy that Molly is sleeping with, he's, like, wearing, like, a maid's hat and, like, almost, like, a diaper <laughs> thing. There's constant, you know, Squire Western is constantly, like, grabbing at women and, like, tackling them and, like, pushing them and, like, just having yeah, his way with them. And, you know, there's all the, the taboo. Like, there's this point in the movie where you think Tom slept with his biological mother, but then we find out that she wasn't. So, but you think incest happened it's just like all of these kind of like taboo and like kinky and stuff that we shouldn't be like appropriate with sex is like what's at the forefront. And that's where a lot of the comedy lies. Is it, it really, I'm not going to say like it try, it makes you uncomfortable, but it definitely tries to be like, take that extra step and to make you like, Oh, like that's what's going on. Like, Oh, like that, that's different than, just like the allusions to sex like we've seen it sometimes in some of the movies we've seen but it's never like so direct but this is like so direct and so like into your face about how people can act in private that you're just like oh my god like that that's bizarre it wasn't expecting that to happen
2: absolutely it's so on the nose in fact it's so on the nose that it constantly acknowledging us as the audience. There's so many fourth wall breaking moments. Like, you know, I'll just go down some of my favorite, like funniest moments for me in the film. And a lot of them are the fourth wall breaking. I I love a good fourth wall break. I I think it's such a funny thing to do in a film. And and we've seen it a lot throughout, you know, the hundred plus years of cinema's history. But I think it just, it always cracks me up because it's something that you rarely see. And I think recently with like, um, dirtbag and with Deadpool we, we kind of see a mini resurgence of that but it's always hilarious to me to kind of acknowledge the audience and how that contextually kind of looks at us as the audience and then looks back at the film and that you're w- witnessing it so there's like a moment like I said where the freeze frame stops says that Tom's about to sleep with this woman but they can't show it moments like where he's yeah, looks to the audience before he's being chased after by a husband of uh, the woman that he slept with and just says help he just looks to the audience and says help like that's hilarious and then like the kind scene kind of, of continues he, i thought he's just like ah! yeah. he looks directly at this camera and screams help directly oh. at the lens
1: well my favorite it's one of
2: those many yeah yeah well my favorite fourth wall
1: breaking is when he's arguing with that innkeeper after the british officers heard him and they think and he's like all bandaged up and they're like okay you gotta pay now and he's like okay I have like this money and she's like and he like can't find it they're going back and forth she's rushing him out and he points to the camera he's like did you guys see her take my 500 pound note (laughs) and like that like that was so good like that's where like it like this movie is really funny and like I, I love the the Monty Python feel of it I love the British humor of it it's just like okay like and like that's all well and good but okay what else what else do you have to give me and that's where it feels so like out of place so out of left field compared to what we've been seeing before this movie comes out a few years after ben-hur and ben-hur is like as you know the uh, the acting isn't at its strength but like the technical elements are so good so it's just so like like what like what's going on here like what like what captured like people's imaginations and i could if you told me like oh this movie was so popular it didn't win best picture but it's like a classic comedy i'd be okay with that but at the same time though it's like where's the documentation how come no one talks about this movie i don't ever see it like around many lists of like people where they talk about comedies like it just doesn't like it hasn't like stood the test of time which is a little unfortunate but i also like kind of get it i did you know i would recommend this movie for people you know go get stoned a little bit and watch this movie, <laughs> but don't go into this movie thinking like, this is the best picture winner. You know, like th- like this movie and like there's
2: some significance to it. And it's just kind of like a goofy grand old time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think maybe my favorite line and I think the funniest moment to me in the whole film is after Tom gets chased away, he's leaving town again. And after he slept with uh, a man's wife, and the narrator just says, as, as Tom's walking down like a lonely dirt road, holding a woman's muff, which if you don't know is kind of like a glove or like a fur collar kind of thing, wrist collar, that's really fur usually made out of an animal. And the narrator just says, it is hard when a woman leaves a man with nothing but memories and a muff. And for some <laughs> reason, just the way he says it and with the British accent and Tom Jones is like holding the muff so sincerely, even though he just met this woman, he doesn't know her at all. But he's, he has the memory of a muff. And that just always has, it cracked me up both times I watched it. I really loved that moment. But not only is this, I think, pushing boundaries in terms of sexuality in terms of the humor like we've never seen some of this outrageous humor and, and sexuality in the best picture so far but I would definitely say that this is by far the most explicit language that we've ever had in a film as a best picture winner up in this point up up until this point I but, mean they say the word excuse my language but they say the word slut they say the word pussy they say, what? What else did they say? Well, the don't, funny thing I don't is, even.
1: The funny thing is, Hugh Griffith is like, "Where's Tom's pussy? Pussy, 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 pussy." pussy.
2: It's just like so blatantly says it, and and not only that, there is a straight, like man on man kissing scene.
1: Oh, between did you Partridge? notice that? Yeah, between Partridge and Tom
2: yes yeah and while while it's not sexual in nature i mean he thinks he's his father and he's kissing him on the lips but correct me if i'm wrong and and we can talk about this that's the first time we've ever seen two men kiss in a best picture winner and it may be one of the first movies ever to show two men kissing and i tried to do some there's some arguments about wings yeah so if we go all the way back to 1927 and i i even went back and rewatched the moment in wings and people say that in the moment in wings is when they're both holding each other. It's the characters dying in his arms and he basically like kind of kisses him on the cheek and people are like, well, he gets a little bit of a, of the corner of his mouth, but this is a full on mouth to mouth male, male kiss. Yeah. We, and I, I had to point that out.
1: Yeah. I, I, you're right. I I didn't think of it as like sexual. I thought it was just like, Oh, I'm so happy he's my father and and doing that. Like, that's funny. And the other thing with Wings is there are two women kissing in that, like, long tracking shot. Exactly. Um, This is two men in particular. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's two men. I don't – yeah, we haven't seen it. And, uh, yeah. I
2: thought it was – I thought it was so interesting because – sorry. I thought it was so interesting because in 1971, a lot of people credit this film Sunday Bloody Sunday – As being the first homosexual kiss on screen. So sexual in nature, two men kissing. But did I ever see Tom Jones come up at all about two men kissing and being an early scene? Like you said, this film is not very documented and doesn't have that much information about it. And not once did I see that pop up. But according to everything that I could find, if you're listening to this and you know more about the first kiss, there was definitely a lot more female kisses, two women kissing. But for particularly two men kissing was very hard to find, and this may be the first, first ever. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it it may be. It's. I it, that's an interesting thought. I I'm not. I don't know. I don't know. I can't really. I don't want to like speculate too much about it because I'm sure there probably were other films. I'm sure there were some other experimental films happening. That featured exactly.
2: It, it could be like the largest film that maybe. Yeah, the most shown popular. It,
1: you know? But again, it's also done in a moment of like, oh, you're my father. And it's like and that I think that's also Pure the comedy, joy, of it. yeah. And also like mm-hmm. Oh definitely. Yeah, the Partridge is kind of like a a grimy, uh homeless person who's like trying to rob people. <laughs> he was trying
2: to rob him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. to rob
1: him. And, and it's so funny. And and even the scene where Partridge tries to rob the Sophie's aunt and that carriage, she's just like, Fuck off. <laughs> like you're not gonna rob me type of thing and and that's just like the fun comedy bits there's just like little bits here and there that make the story go I think that you know going through the movie and the plot like that like the last act of it is where there's too much going on there's we're trying to figure out this mystery of like the letter about 100%. Tom and, and like whose parents are and at the same time you introduce this like Lady Belliston character and we're like who is she like why is this matter and and there's all this craziness and zaniness happening. And it's it just doesn't, like, make the film as cohesive if, like, they try to do it different ways. I know, like, this is from the book. And I, I, I it seems like this movie took, like, pretty much straight stuff from the book. And it, and it did a pretty good job with the adaptation part of it. But that doesn't mean, like, it works. Because, like, sometimes those old novels, like A Canterbury Tales, Don Quixote, like, those are kind of, like poorly constructed narratives like they're good books and they're meant to be literary classics but sometimes you're just like all right where's the common thread with all of this like why is this such like a lengthy read like i think the the tom jones book is like 900 pages that's a long ass book that's as long if not longer than lord of the rings the all three books combined so it's it's kind of like wacky and zany and it's a good time but again like there's just all these other things happening with it that just like wait this is way too wacky and way too zany so are there any like final thoughts or is there anything else you want to get into with tom jones there's like i think it's like we could yeah. like we could like kill this movie to death and break it down scene by scene and like go through all the, like the, the mistakes that even happen like, there's a few editing mistakes that are like really, really weird one that sticks out is like when sophie's trying to escape it's like that same scene happens like twice did you notice that
2: sophie escaping like her she's escaping the, like her, her father's being raped
1: well no she's escaping like her father's home and like she jumps down she like goes down the, this wall of like the bed sheets like tied together and then they the same exact scene is done again and i don't
2: know if that's the version that i watched if like there is a judder cuz i was like well, streaming it but it felt, it yeah, like was a gonna, lot of mistakes I don't remember that particular one, but I was going to ask you if you watched, there's a director's cut of this film, and then there's the original theatrical version of this film. The theatrical version of this film is like two hours and eight minutes, I think, and then seven or eight minutes were cut off to make it around two hours. And what's so weird about the director's cut, I, I found an article that kind of broke down everything that's different, which I was shocked. Like, who's who did this? Like, who spent the time and has seen Tom Jones this many times? I mean... We we've probably seen Tom Jones more than most people on the planet at this point. Yeah. Especially you watching at least 3 if not 4 times. And who where they really went through and did this, but what's so weird about the director's cut is that it cuts 8 minutes off. It doesn't even cut out like full scenes. Sometimes it's just like cu- cutting off a few seconds in some scenes sometimes it's just you know adding a couple more seconds for other scenes it's a really weird director's cut that they have and i watched both and it's so you just don't notice any really difference i think the biggest difference is there's a couple scenes with him and sophie which I think actually that is probably the biggest difference because I think it helps build up their relationship a little bit more. And they're basically scenes without dialogue and it's them basically just bonding, playing in rain, like doing things as a couple. It, it just kind of like, you know, personalizes them a little bit without much dialogue. So one, I found that kind of weird. But yeah, tell me your thoughts about that first. And then there's a couple other things I want to talk about, about Tom Jones.
1: I really like the, the Tom and Sophie when they are like, when Tom's recovering and Sophie is helping him, I think that that's a really well put together sequence. And that's like kind of the first half of the movie. I really like, and I feel like the movie, I like want it to be more about like their relationship, but we like lose that because Tom gets kicked out and, and he's like banished from where they live. So we kind of lose like what I feel like was the heart of this movie. And it ends with them coming back together. And it's like kind of a very sweet and endearing moment. But then at the same time, it, like we, we just completely lose it. But I, I like that part about Sophie and her character.
2: Yeah, it's a nice little addition in terms of anything else really about Tom Jones is I thought there's some pretty cool, you know, sword fights. I think there is particularly like the last one before he gets sent to be hung is all along a cool corridor. It's a really cool like tracking shot of them fighting and sword fighting down that hall. Those are pretty those are a couple cool moments where he saves the woman from being hung or raped or whatever's happening in that moment as well. That's a kind of cool, interesting fight scene. And then really the last thing I want to mention Well there's two things I want to mention. One the insane speed up moment where he's running away <laughs> from the man. Cause like we've never seen anything like that. No. I would have never guessed that that happened in the sixties, let alone 1963, where Tom just all of a sudden like speeds up and is running super fast and it's all sped up and it just looks like a cartoon. It's like Benny Hill. Uh, that's really, s- yes, it's very much like Benny Hill. That's exactly right. And that was really odd. And then really one of the most iconic scenes from this movie we have to talk about is the the eating scene the romantic, lustfully eating scene where they ate apples or pears, whatever it is, and their are chicken and there's, the eating in this movie is disgusting. Can oh, we it,
1: agree? It's so disgusting and like Hugh Griffin, what he <laughs> eats doesn't help. Yeah, they, they yes, eat like yes. turkey
2: legs. They eat
1: like the oysters. <laughs> the, uh, there there's so much like just slurping and, and eating of food and and that was of the few things that there were like you could find when researching this movie, that was one of them. And apparently the Tom Jones and the woman, Mrs. Waters, who we think is Tom's mother at the time there. Apparently they got like really sick from doing it. It took like three hours for them to film this. And apparently they were just like puking parts of this scene. Cause it was just so like disgusting. And it honestly made me feel unsettled at times while watching it. So it's got me, it's making me shiver, but the fast forwarding part is really funny And it's even funnier at the end when Mrs. Waters is laying in bed and the guy Mr. Fitzpatrick who was chasing Tom gets back into the room and she's like waggling her feet around like and it's like in fast you know pace motion so it's like kind of (laughs) funny and like that's where the comedy is and I think it's just like Tony Richardson again experimenting and maybe just not experimenting as best as he could you know it just feels like it lacked Mm -hmm. a little bit
2: yeah no you're exactly right and Really the last thing I'm going to give some other compliments before we kind of end it because we'll talk a little bit more about the score and some other things in the Oscars. But I really wanted to say that I appreciated how dirty everyone was. Like there's definitely a sense of realism in terms of the makeup. I thought the costuming was really impressive. Everyone had really cool costumes and and it looked very of the time. And yeah I think that really helps like ground us into the world but I really liked, like the set design and the uh, costume
1: yeah I definitely can agree like the the 17th century 18th century feel this movie feels really good and I think like my complaints about the lighting designs because they're really shiny but I guess at the same time they'd be really dirty and grimy and sweaty yeah. at the time also I can't imagine how everyone smelled sometimes I do <laughs> yeah. wish smell-o-vision was a thing and then I feel like it would really get me in to a movie so you really immersed yeah really immersed so I I want to end the discussion about Tom Jones with what the quote that ends the movie, which I think is the most beautiful writing in the entire movie. And some of the most beautiful writing I think we've seen in a bit, it's actually a really great poem. I really like when movies end on these like last second, like thoughts, like, like think about this, here are these few lines. And I really liked it. So the, the narrator ends the movie with Tom and Sophie finally having each other falling in love, kissing, he says happy the man and happy he alone he who can call today his own he who's secure within can say tomorrow do thy worst for i have lived today it's a very beautiful and sweet line and very there's a lot of emotions tomorrow do thy worst for i have lived today and as like insignificant at times this movie can seem like that's a very significant line like that, like, like that's great. Like that's really great writing. And that really adds to the theme of this movie, which is about just living in life and that life is wacky. Life is full of sex. Life is full of humor. There's going to be shitty moments where you're not going to get the woman that you want, but you're going to still have a wacky fun time and like finding yourself really like Albert Finney and Tom Jones, were they were like, going on this like journey to find themselves. So not too dissimilar to Lawrence of Arabia, which actually reminds me that apparently Albert Finney was considered to play Lawrence in Lawrence of Arabia, and he declined. And I think his reasoning was like there was like there's too much work for that character, so he does Tom <laughs> Jones.
2: <laughs> so he's like, I lo- not enough work for Tom Jones, too much work for Lawrence, T.E. Lawrence. Yeah, You got to find a middle ground here, Finney. And he did. Fantastic career he had.
1: Yeah, a really great career. Never won an Oscar, which... It happens, unfortunately, but he, you know, he ends his, or towards the end of his career with Aaron Brockovich, which was a supporting actor nom he got for that as well. So it's a really, like this movie, I think is, it's a fun time, but why don't we save our scores and ratings for after our discussion of the 36th Academy Awards? The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences
3: invite you to be its guest at the 36th Annual Academy Awards Presentation.
0: An Academy program weighs just about as much as an average anvil. It's printed on heavy paper. There are 27 categories and five nominees in each category. John Wayne is the last man who was able to hold up a program through the whole show. Welcome. This is the night, the night when the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences honors those who have made outstanding contributions to our industry in this past year by arts and sciences. I must say both branches have been very, very busy, very busy, busy, especially in sciences. There has been one outstanding contribution, as we all know, which has changed the entire face of our industry. What it has done to the face is take the cigarette out of it. Actually is what it has done. Uh, And I don't think there's any question but that this will go down in history as the year that the movies quit smoking. (laughs) And this has wreak havoc, there's been, uh, it's, well, actors are standing around by the thousands, uh, twitching nervously with nothing to do with their hands, not knowing And This has been going on ever since the time of Shakespeare. The importance of a cigarette as a prop to an actor, nobody really realized. If I may quote from Henry IV, part two, he was fouled by a mighty blow, a lucky strike. <laughs> and of course, all of us realized the number, marvelous, romantic scene that you will no longer see. You stand there and gaze adoringly into the eyes of your loved one. You take out a cigarette and you light it. You pass it lovingly and tenderly, and she takes it. And you play that scene now, and everybody in the audience turns and says he's trying to kill her. Look at him, he's trying to kill her. Hey! Trying to kill it. <laughs> but because these advances have not been precluded only to science, we've taken a giant step forward in the field of the arts, particularly in the vital area of depravity. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty forlorn there for a while. There was nothing you couldn't do on the screen. There was nothing left to censor until finally our British cousins discovered that just eating, <laughs> plain simple eating. Was very very sexy. The office immediately jumped on the bandwagon. They sprang into action. We are revising our production code, and I understand as of 5:30 this afternoon, a man and a woman cannot be together seen dining unless they are married. (laughs) And even then, both feet on the floor. (laughs) And at all times, you use the silverware.
2: The 36th Academy Awards were held on April 13, 1964 at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium in Santa Monica, California. And the event was hosted by previous Oscar winner Jack Lemmon. Best Sound Effects was introduced this year with It's a Mad, 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 Mad World winning the award. And the Best Picture winner, Tom Jones, became the only film in history to garner three Best Supporting Actress nominations. And it also tied the Oscar record of five unsuccessful acting nominations set by Peyton Palace at the 30th Academy Awards. The Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award went to Sam Spiegel. Spiegel
1: was financially responsible with some of the most critically acclaimed motion pictures of the 20th century. Spiegel produced films that won the Academy Award for Best Picture three times a Hollywood first for a sole independent producer, and one of those movies was Lawrence of Arabia.
2: Best special effects went to Emil Cosa Jr. for Cleopatra. This is Cosa's only Oscar win. Toted as the most expensive film of all time, Cleopatra cost about $44 million in 1962, which translates to around $430 million today in 2022. However, Cleopatra was still number one at the box office of 1963. And Emil Cosa Jr. also helped create the first logo for 20th century pictures. So the iconic beams of light shooting into the air, the iconic 20th century pictures logo. Best film editing went to How the West Was Won to Harold F. Kress.
1: This is Cress's first of two Academy Awards. How the West Was Won is about a family saga covering several decades of westward expansion in the 19th century including the gold rush the civil war and the building of the railroads originally filmed in th- true three lens cinerama with the according three panel panorama projected onto an enormous curved screen how the west was won is widely considered one of the Hollywood's greatest epics the film received widespread critical acclaim and was a box office success grossing 50 million dollars on a budget of 15 million
2: best costume design color went to Cleopatra, Irene Shiroff, Vittorio Nino Novaris, and Rene. Shiroff's fourth or fifth Academy Award. This is Navrese's first of two and Rene's only Academy Award win. Best Costume
1: Design Black and White went to Piero Garrardi for eight and a half. This is Garrardi's second Career Academy Award and he previously won for La Dolce Vida in
2: 1960. Best Cinematography Color went to Leon Shamroy for Cleopatra. This is Shamroy's fourth and final Academy Award. He previously won for The Black Swan, Wilson, and Leave Her to Heaven. His four Academy Awards are tied with Joseph Ruttenberg for the most ever in the cinematography category. His 18 total nominations are tied with Charles Lang for the most ever in the category.
1: Best Cinematography Black and White went to James Wong Howe for HUD. This is Howe's second and final Career Academy Award, and he previously won for the Rose Tattoo in 1955. So two names that we have talked about before. We talked about Leon Chamoroy before. We talked about James Wong Howe in many of our past episodes. So give those a listen when you get a chance to hear about these great cinematographers.
2: And funny enough about James Wong Howe, I just wanted to double check this because I thought I remembered this, that he's credited for inventing or being the first person to do a helicopter shot. Funny enough, which you see prominently used in 1963's Tom Jones. Best Art Direction Color went to Cleopatra. Art direction by John DeCure, Jack Martin Smith, Hilliard M. Brown, Herman A. Blumenthal, Elvin Webb, Maurice Pelling, and Boris Juraga. Set direction by Walter M. Scott, Paul S. Fox, and Ray Moyer. That is 10 total winners. And as we mentioned, it's one of the most expensive movies, if not the most expensive movies of all time. And maybe that happened to be related to mismanagement. Too many people. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> This is not the Cleopatra podcast.
1: Yeah, that, that, it's a lot of people to win one award. I tried to look and see if there was like some note on that. And I couldn't find anything but I'm gonna to venture to guess that ten people winning an award probably has to be the most in Oscar history. Maybe there's some, maybe there's something I'm missing. But ten people, art direction,
2: that's a lot. Yeah, not counting Ghostwriters, probably. Yeah, the yeah. most, most actually credited. Yeah, award. Yeah, probably I could see that ten is huge.
1: Moving on to Best Art Direction, Black and White went to America, America. Art Direction and Set Decoration by Gene Callahan. See, he did this all by himself, so I don't know why Cleopatra (laughs) needed 10 people. This is Callahan's second career Oscar after previously
2: winning in the same category for The Hustler from 1961. Best Sound went to Franklin Milton for How the West Was Won. This is Milton's second of three career Oscars, and he previously won for Ben-Hur in 1960. Best Sound Effects went to It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, to
1: Walter Elliott. This is Elliot's first and only Oscar win. This is the first year that the Best Sound Effects category was created. This one went to films exhibiting the finest or most aesthetic sound design, or sound editing. So sound editing is the creation of sound effects such as Folly. The award was usually received by the supervising sound editors of the film, sometimes accompanied by sound designers. Beginning with the 93rd Academy Awards, though, the Best Sound Editing was combined with Best Sound Mixing, into a single award for best sound so we branch off this year but it does not last well it lasts for like 60 odd years but now in today's world there is no separate sound categories
2: which kind of takes away from some of the people who do get to work on these movies it is it's you know especially with the recent change of moving it and splitting up these technical categories like they did with the last year's oscars and removing them from the actual tell like the actual broadcast why would you reduce the categories they're two separate decisions maybe that's why i think it deserves to be brought back and not be you know condensed into just one category mixing and sound design are are very different jobs and very different roles for a film and one can drastically affect the other so you know while the winner usually goes to both I feel like that's a common trend where one film wins both of the two awards that we kind of seen in the history until the 93rd when they combine the two but, I, you know, I think this is a great addition to the Oscars. It's kind of weird that it took this long to add this. You know, like from the very conception of film, you need sound effects. You need some sort of sound design and mixing to kind of achieve something that feels like a real lived in world. Why it really came in 1963 is kind of odd to me, but I'm, I'm glad it came.
1: Yeah, it's certainly a weird thing, but I think they should just add more. Oscar categories. I think there should be for stunts, for casting, for lighting, but they don't have to necessarily show it because they don't even want to show
2: any of the categories anyway. So just a food for thought. Best scoring of music and adaption or treatment went to Andre Previn for Irma La And funny thing about this category is there was a slight mistake. Sammy Davis Jr. took out the card from the envelope and said the winner was John Addison for Tom Jones. The problem was that John Addison wasn't even nominated for that category, nor was anyone else from the movie Tom Jones. Addison was nominated for the Best Original Score category instead. It wasn't until the 1985 awards that Best Adaptation or Treatment Score and Best Original Score were merged into a single category. Let's take a moment and listen to Sam, Sammy Davis Jr. try to fix the situation that was the epic envelope mistake of the thirty-six Academy Awards.
3: Uh, I would like at this time to present the scoring awards, and I uh, what?
0: Uh, We've already had a Jimmy Stewart impression. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Who did it? Jimmy Stewart. Well, I never really thought he did it too well anyway. <laughs> but in that case. All right, you mark, here. Now listen to me, understand? I want to have you know something like now. I'm going to present this award. Wait,
0: Edward G. comes out next.
3: The nominees for the best music score, adaptation, or treatment are John Green for Bye Bye Birdie, Andre Previn for Irma La Lee Stevens for A New Kind of Love, Maurice Girard for Sunday's Incibel, and George Brune for The Sword in the Stone. And the winner is John Addison for Tom Joe. They gave me the wrong envelope. Wait till the NAACP hears about this. (laughs) <laughs> the winner is Andre Previn for Irma La Douce. <laughs> the nominees for the best music score, substantially original are Alec North for Cleopatra, Dmitri Tiomkin for 55 days at Peking, Alfred Newman, Ken Darby for How the West Was Won, Ernest Gold, for It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, and John Addison for Tom Jones. Guess who the winner is.
1: So the Oscars have a history of these little mishaps. So it wasn't just when Moonlight La La Land happened.
2: It wasn't the only time. yeah. And it it's just it's painful to see someone go up there. You know, they're an actor or a musician who doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be Sammy Davids Jr. It's just painful to see someone be like, I made such a crucial mistake. And to know that it's not even their fault. It's, it's just the person who handed them the wrong envelope. Like yeah. that's it hurts. It's so painful. Even 60 years later watching that clip, that cringe. I felt the cringe, Ugh. like just the painful cringe.
1: Yeah, I totally feel that. So it's an unfortunate thing that happened, but not Sammy Davis Jr.'s fault. Moving on to best music score, substantially original. Obviously, as we know, it went to Tom Jones, to John Addison. This is Addison's first and only career Oscar win. And I just want to know that this is the third consecutive year that a Best Picture winner also won for best score, and actually is going to go on for two more years. So maybe there's something about... What's going on in the 60s? And they're like, oh, well, if you're going to win Best Picture, your score might be, you know, and, and maybe it's just coincidence. But, you know, for this kind of streak, it's kind of kind of interesting that it does happen. But what do you think about the score of Tom Jones with his harpsichord, his old English style
2: of music? I hated it. You hated it? I hated it it may be my least enjoyable thing about this film i I couldn't every time it came on i wanted to pull my hair out it just i i don't know what it reminded me of like that that harpsichord the harp the ding 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 (laughs) ding ding i don't know what it reminded me of but it just it just gave me anxiety every time I heard it. It just made me so uncomfortable. I just, something about it. I don't know, man. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it's anything like great at all. I mean, I think as someone who plays like a musical instrument, like I kind of like, oh, a harpsichord. It might be cool just to like play around with.
2: On my own but for like an entire movie yeah right this
1: isn't like anything
2: it's so repetitive yeah too. it's just like very similar <laughs> over and over and over and yeah i just i i don't know if it's like supposed to help the comedy aspect of it like propel the energy of the movie but it doesn't help me the best doesn't. short subject cartoon went to the critic best live action short subject went to an occurrence at owl creek bridge Best Documentary Short Subject went to
1: Chagall. Best Documentary Feature went to Robert Frost, A
2: Lover's Quarrel with the World. Best Song went to Call Me Irresponsible from Papa's Delicate Condition. Music by Jimmy Van Heusen. Lyrics by Sammy Kane. According to the Mel Torm book, The Other Side of the Rainbow with Judy Garland, on the Dawn Patrol, Van Heusen originally wrote the song for Garland to sing at a CBS dinner. At that time, Garland had just signed to do the Judy Garland show on CBS, and the intent of the song was to parody her well-known problems. Garland later sang the song on the seventh episode of the show. However, in 1988, Sammy Kane said during an interview with a freelance writer Harlan Conti in San Francisco that the song was originally written for Fred Astaire to sing in the film Papa's Delicate Condition, in which Astaire was to star. Can personally audition the song for Astaire's approval, which was given. However, Astaire's contractual obligations prevented him from making the film, and the role went to Jackie Gleason, who introduced the song. So, call me irresponsible, and let's listen to Call Me Irresponsible.
3: Call me irresponsible. Call me unreliable. Growing, undependable too. Do my foolish you.
1: best foreign language film went to eight and a half from italy eight and a half is a surrealist comedy drama film directed and co-written by federico fellini this is Martin scorsese's eighth favorite film of all time and he's quoted saying Eight and a half has always been a touchstone for me in so many ways. The freedom, the sense of invention, the underlying rigor, and the deep core of longing, the bewitching, physical pull of the camera movements, and the compositions. It's just another great black and white film.
2: Every image gleams like a pearl. Ben, have you ever seen 8 and a half? No. It's one of those movies that it definitely needs more than one watch. I, I've watched it once, and it's almost one of those movies where you're like, Wow. It was like so visually stimulating that like I don't really know what happened like the story kind of loses itself with the visuals and that could just be, you know, first time watch sometimes that happens for me takes maybe a second time but it is known as one of like the greatest films of all time and a definite proud Italian winner of the best foreign language film. Best screenplay based on material from another medium goes to Tom Jones by John Osborne, based on the novel The History of Tom Jones a Foundling by Henry Fielding. This is Osborne's only career Oscar win and nomination, and his career had mostly been as a playwright, and he is most well-known for writing the stage play Look Back in Anger.
1: So I have a little side note on the stage play Look Back in Anger, because I saw a production of it. It was like an off-Broadway production, maybe, This actually this is 10 years ago. I think it's exactly 10, maybe even 11 years ago. And I'm watching this stage play unfold and this one guy just rolling around on stage just doing these like crazy things, acting like a rat at one point. It was really bizarre. And I liked the play, but I was like infatuated with this one actor. Well, that one actor, John, ended up being Adam Driver. And I, I was blown away when I like followed Adam Driver's career after that and like where he went to. But I think it's it's kind of interesting and funny. But I wanted to give that a shout-out because John Osborne wrote the play. It was kind of part of this this British New Wave movement. And it's just funny that like he makes this movie, he writes this movie, and then he doesn't really make any
2: of their films after that. I think he makes one more film, or writes one more film after Tom Jones. It's a weird thing that this would win. I mean, especially over... Lilies of the Field which I think is such a tight script. It's one of the other films that I watched that were Best Picture nominees this year. I think like the script of Tom Jones is so all over the place. It's messy. It has some really great moments and really funny moments and lines but you know maybe there was more on the page that we just don't see in terms of his character and Sophie and their relationship. I just wish there was a little bit more from that and And, you know, we can cut out a woman or two from all the the ridiculous amount of sex he has in this movie.
1: Best Story and Screenplay Written Directly for the Screen went to How the West Was Won, written by James R.
2: Webb. This is Webb's first and only Academy Award win. Best Supporting Actress went to Margaret Rutherford for The VIPs. At age 71, Margaret Rutherford set a then-record as the oldest winner for Best Supporting Actress, a year after Patty Duke set a then-record as the youngest ever winner. Rutherford was also only the second Oscar winner over the age of 70 at the time of her win, the other was Edmund Gwen, as as, as well as becoming the last woman born in the 19th century to win. This was the only time in Academy history that all Best Supporting Actress nominees were born outside the United States. Best Supporting Actor went to Melvin Douglas for
1: HUD. Is Douglas's first of two Career Academy Awards in the Best Supporting Actor category, he would go on to win for Being There from 1979.
2: Best Actress went to Patricia Neal for HUD. This is Neal's first nomination and win, but she would later be nominated for Best Supporting Actress in 1968 for the subject was Roses. Best Actor went to sydney poitier for lily's other Field*. it
1: is a long journey to this moment i am naturally indebted to countless numbers
0: of people principally among whom are ralph nelson james poe william barrett martin Baum, and of course the member of the academy for all of them
2: all I can
1: say it's a very special thank you. Sidney Poitier became the first Black actor to win Best Actor after previously being nominated in 1959 for The Defiant Ones. Lilies of the Field is a 1963 American comedy-drama, a film adapted by James Foe from the 1962 novel The Same Name by William Edmund Barrett, and tells the story of a construction worker who encounters a group of East German nuns who believe he has been sent to them by God to build them a new chapel. Poitiers would later win an honorary Oscar in 2002 for his extraordinary performance and unique presence on the screen and for representing the industry with dignity, style, and intelligence. The former president of the United States, Barack Obama, noted that Poitiers had advanced the nation's dialogue on race and respect and opened doors for a generation of actors. and Lilia, And Lilies of the Field does exactly that. So John, I know you watched the lilies of the field for this podcast. I did not get to, I, it's a movie that was on my list. Life happens. I did not get to watch it, but give us
2: your sense. Did Poitier deserve to win best actor for his role in it? You know, if I had to pick between his previous nomination, the defiant ones and and lilies of the field, I would probably pick the defiant ones. I think it's just a, you know, it's one of those duo films. It's, it's a lot about race it's it's it has a lot of energy and momentum to it. And Lilies of the Field, It's it was a really wonderful, charming film. And it's also kind of about people's arguments and their their beliefs. And, you know, being able to get along with each other with having such drastic beliefs. And Sidney Poitier portrays such a, like, smart, dignified man. And he he portrays someone who gets very frustrated and doesn't have the patience that these nuns are looking for. But that's where a lot of, like, the magic comes from. They're they're East Germans. They, like, truly believe in miracles. They really think this man just came out of nowhere just to help them. And it's a really simple story. It takes place mainly, I think it's in Texas, if I remember correctly. And it's just, like, big open... fields a lot of the times or it's like inside or it's them building the new chapel and Poitier's performance is so charming and endearing and sweet and you see the frustration like you're very much in line with his character but I don't think I really fell in love with the performance until we get to the last moment of the film and really the last scene of the film which is a really beautiful exit to not only the overall story but really his character and his his lesson really being learned and really the whole film is about him getting to the point that he feels like he's done something meaningful and he finally realizes it the entire film he's trying to go he's trying to keep moving he's trying to be fast and just move forward through his life but it really takes these german nuns to really stop him and slow him down and teach him the value of people and the value of of life and having different opinions so it's a really sweet charming film and definitely well deserved for best actor Best Director went to Tony Richardson for Tom Jones. Despite winning Best Picture and Best Director at the Oscars, director Tony Richardson was dissatisfied with the final product. In his autobiography, Richardson wrote, I felt the movie to be incomplete and botched in much of its execution. I am not knocking that kind of success. Everyone should have it. But whenever someone gushes to me about Tom Jones, I always cringe a little inside. So here we have Tony Richardson outright admitting that this is a mess. This is all over the place. And I don't want to make it seem like our opinions came from this. It definitely didn't because I didn't see this quote until after I finished most of my outline. Most of my thoughts kind of came together. And to see that he feels this way. I think it shows maybe why this film is not remembered as well. In the time, it's like a jumbled mess. It's so new. It's it's like a frazzle. It's like a firework that explodes and then kind of disappears. Like we forget about its existence because it's just so messy. It's not a well-defined product, really. It's not really a well-defined package. It's a comedy. It's like a sex comedy. It's it's trying to do these new innovations with editing and its cinematography. But... People just don't remember it because the story's not really that memorable. So what do you think about this comment from Tony Richardson? What do you think about him winning best director?
1: I think it's really funny. It, again, feels like the indie art house director who was given the keys to the castle, who maybe not necessarily wanted it, but was like, okay, let me try and do this. And then they do it and they don't like the process. They don't like the product, but everyone else does. And then they're getting all this praise. And it's like stop loving me for my art and my success type of thing and like <laughs> I, I like sympathize for him because like he wants to be remembered probably for some of his other movies for his, his british new wave and like those accomplishments but it's kind of like well you get you this is what you get for making such a wacky zany thing and i you know i i can't feel sorry for the guy because he won an oscar but it, it is kind of yeah. funny that that out of all the success he was just like god why like why why do you people have to like
2: this <laughs> why that one
1: like, yeah why Why that one so it's yeah I, again like he won the
2: oscars so i don't feel like too bad for him but it's it's funny it is funny to see that and i think it we have to mention fellini i mean i think eight and a half is half isn't known it's a film you constantly hear if you go to film school you're there going to be talking about it you're going to be talking about certain scenes you're going to watch the whole movie it's one of like the most iconic films really of all time especially when it comes to blocking cinematography really directing you know in general so you have to kind of acknowledge that this year we also have Dr. No which I mean such an iconic film and, and looking back on it now it's it's hard not to realize how iconic it is and how much it sets up James Bond as a series and as a franchise I think you again we have to mention Alfred Hitchcock is completely left off entirely with the birds which I think definitely pushes the genre of horror it pushes special effects it pushes sound design it, that film does a lot even though it's not my favorite Hitchcock or maybe not even my top five or even top 10 of Hitchcock and then finally I think the biggest travesty if not including for best director is John Sturges who directed one of the best movies of 1963 the escape POW film The Great Escape. The Great Escape is one of my favorite movies of all time. I think it's one of the best World War II films of all time. The fact that Sturges wasn't nominated, the fact that Steve McQueen wasn't nominated, the fact that Elmer Bernstein for best film score, absurd, and best cinematography too. Like, The Great Escape is so good. It's up there with almost being as perfect as The Apartment. I love that movie so, so much, and it is so neglected, and I think it's... Again, we have Tom Jones winning. I think it's people are over World War II. We're kind of done with this. Or I think we're moving on to brighter, louder, and more fun films. Best Picture. The nominees are Lilies of the Field, How the West Was Won,
1: Cleopatra, America, America, and the winner of the Best Picture Award of 1963 goes to Tom Jones, to Tony Richardson. Tom Jones wins 15 years after the first British film won the Best Picture Award, Laurence Olivier's Hamlet from 1948. Tom Jones is only one of only nine films in all of cinema history that has been nominated for five Oscars for their performances. The others are Mrs. Miniver, All About Eve, From Here to Eternity, On the Waterfront, Peyton Place, Bonnie and Clyde, The Godfather Part II, and Network. So, what is it? Three... Out of those, nine movies don't win Best Picture. So maybe it's a good indicator that if there's a movie with five acting nominations, it's probably going to win Best Picture, you would think. So, John, let's get into some stats and figures about Tom Jones. So Tom Jones has an 82% rating on, on Rotten Tomatoes with an average rating of 7.7. 7. The top critic percentage given it an 89 with an average rating of 7.3. The audience score is a fifty-eight, with an average rating of three point four two. IMDb gives it a six point five. Metacritic gives it a seventy-seven. It won four Oscars in total out of ten nominations.
2: John, what did you rate the? What did you rate Tom Jones? I rated Tom Jones a sixty-two out of hundred, and it really comes down to. The film feeling like a mess. I I think the best analogy is really my painter's palette analogy. It's very muddy and not just it's kind of color tone, but it's execution in terms of the style they're using in terms of the acting choices. I mean, the fact that this is nominated with so many acting awards is is pretty crazy to me because the performances are not terrible, but they're not really stand out. They don't really like jump out to me because I don't really care about any of their characters so that's really the big kind of takeaway for me and why I took so much so many points off of the total is really the story and the characters I want to know more I want I want to be able to bite into the pair of that character that Tom Jones is like he does in that eating scene but I'm not there's just not enough to get it's not enough to bite off of I'm just getting seeds of the pair and I just want more from the film of its story and it just doesn't feel earned. You know, Sophie and Tom's relationship doesn't really feel earned because we don't spend enough time with them. It wants to, you know, talk about these other side characters, have Tom, you know, have a funny chase scene, and sleep with more women, and show more cool costume designs and cool cinematography. It just—it's doing too much, and it should be pulled back a little bit more for me personally. So it was just a little bit too, too all over the place. I, when I look at other films like Lilies of the Field, it's so personable, and it's. I feel like it strikes a tone of what America's going through. We're dealing with a lot of racism and a lot of you know separation of classes throughout America, and it's kind of being highlighted more than ever in the 60s. And Lilies of the Field is about a black man working with a bunch of white women to not only help them, but they directly help him in return to kind of find his place in the world and find his true identity and I think it's a really touching film if I had to pick another film it probably be be the Great Escape but that's a personal preference for me I really love that film so so much Man, I really look for I want to watch Cleopatra I really wanted to do it for this film for this podcast but you know I couldn't get through another four-hour epic I've, I've been drained by Lawrence of Arabia mm-hmm. I couldn't go through another epic of that proportion again and that also goes for how the West was won and America, America by Ilya Kazan is also a pretty long film. So I think that also has to do with why Tom Jones won. You know, it's a round two hours. It's a shorter film. It's different. It's expressive. There's new transitions, cinematography, these goofy characters. It's funny. None of these other films are really as funny. I think Lilies of the Field has some really funny moments. But I think it just really stands out as being just unique this year. And, and that's really why it took home the prize but Ben what did you give Tom Jones and why did you give it that score so I gave Tom Jones a 70 it, this was kind of like a hard movie
1: I think for me to rate because I some of the aspects of it I was into I thought that you know the comedy in it is funny it, it's definitely a good time and I can definitely understand like why this movie would be so would be so liked and so popular but the technical elements are so bad The writing isn't great The acting is mid at best And it's just so like slapped together It it really drags towards the end of the movie There's there's a lot of convoluted stuff happening You kind of wish you had more You wish you had more context You wish you had more character depth But it just doesn't do enough And like I could have lowered it more But then I'm also like Well this I still had like a fun time watching the movie But don't but I don't think it's like anything great or grand. So I I went back and forth. I'm going to keep as at a 70 for right now. So John, your average rating out of the 36 movies we've seen is a 73.2 and mine is a 76.25. So we're close. We're not doing great for reference though, for like how these movies have performed. The rotten tomato percentage is an 86.2 the average rating for those movies is 7.9. So we're like behind, but I think we're also more harsh compared to some of the other critics and reviews of these movies. But let's answer that question. John is Tom Jones worthy of the best picture award of 1963.
2: I say no. I think I gave it away in my response with saying, you know, (laughs) <laughs> by by declaring that it's not the best or not my favorite of the year, I think The Great Escape would probably be on that list. The fact that it's not nominated is a, is a kind of a travesty to me. I don't think Doctor No is the best James Bond movie of all time, but it's definitely up there as one of the best and definitely, I think, is underappreciated because people didn't know what the film really was at the time. But, Ben is it worthy to you? I feel like I gave mine away like almost
1: an hour ago when we were talking about <laughs> this but yeah it's a no for me. It's just not enough. I don't understand the significance of like why this movie truly won. I get that it's, it was popular, but that's not enough for me that like there's no mention of this movie like on any list. It just isn't talked about. No one really knows about it. And I think like that kind of shows that people at the times were just like, "Oh, f- fuck, we gave Tom Jones best picture like wow that acid trip was crazy <laughs> type of thing like they just like i i just don't understand like why like why this movie won it, it just it's baffling and i don't hate the movie the movie's fine i would recommend it for just a good old time get a little drunk get a little stoned while watching it but don't go into this movie thinking like this is one of the best comedies ever that this is like a great movie for certain reasons it's just not it's not any of those it it falls way below that worthy line for me. And it's just so bizarre, but it won best picture as part of a collective. It represents the comedy aspect of filmmaking for the best picture winner. So like that is significant of itself, but I would not pick it as the true representative of comedies. I don't even like, I'm sure you can name like 50 other comedies before I think you can get to this one. And I, you would, you would have to break it down. Maybe it's not that many, but it just, it just feels so lost compared to like how we preserve and talk about movies. It just doesn't really fit in so well. So that's it. That's our review of Tom Jones of the 36th Academy Awards. John, is there any final things you would like to talk about on this episode
2: of worthy? All I want to say is that on November 17th, 1963, our president, John F. Kennedy saw this film five days later. He was killed in the city of Dallas. And I'm not saying it's because he watched <laughs> Tom Jones. But conspiracy theorists out there should know that the last movie our fucking president of the United States watched was Tom fucking Jones. And just to think about that, to think that man was probably like, man, that was a funny, sexy movie. And we know JFK liked to get down. So this man probably <laughs> thought this movie was sexy, hilarious, hilarious. And he tragically got murdered five days after. Well, afterwards. maybe
1: maybe that's it. Maybe, because also the time of this recording, the movie came out October 6th. We were recording this podcast on October 7th. So this is almost, I'm not going to do the 59 years to the day. If I know more, yeah, it's 59, 59 years to the day almost, or a day ahead of when this movie was released. So maybe at the time the movie was out, people were sad that Kennedy died. Oh, what do we need? Some comedy, some fun, some laughs. Maybe. Yeah. Just maybe. Maybe. So I think that's it for Tom Jones. I thank you all for listening. It's always a great and grand old time. I'm Ben. And I'm John. And And this this is is Worthy.
2: Worthy. Thanks for listening to Worthy breakdown of every best picture winner from past to present listen to us wherever you get your podcasts check us out on instagram at worthy podcast on twitter at worthy pod and on facebook at worthy podcast any inquiries can be submitted to worthy submissions at gmail.com that's worthy submissions at gmail.com
3: it is hard
0: when a woman leaves a man nothing but memories and a muff.